Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Man, I hope you, uh, those of you that joined us yesterday for our festival, we had a great time yesterday. It was awesome. There was a bunch of turkeys cooked. We played uh, some football, a little bit of flag football. I tend to take a little ibuprofen today, but uh, through, you know, it's so funny. We had a great time out there. Thank you so much, Scott. And uh, somebody took videos of us playing football and, you know, as a, as a guy who still lives with a dream in his head that will never become fulfilled, um, you know, I'm just figuring, you know, I'm, I probably have perfect posture, throwing the ball, zipping it just right. They post me throwing an interception on Facebook. So I want to thank everybody that uh, took video out there and threw that right out there. So uh, the dream still lives, though. It still lives. But it is great to see all of you today. What an amazing day. Uh, don't miss amazing days. I, I, I know it's, it's atmospherically controlled. I know it's weather and all that other stuff. But, but God uses all this stuff to communicate stuff to us. Allow sometimes your walk in nature to speak to you. Allow a beautiful day, a crisp air moment to just, you know, say to you, hey, mercies are new every single morning from God. So just enjoy this day together. So we've been going through the Gospel of Luke and journeying about it, and we're kind of looking at it for certainty. We're looking for items about it that Jesus says that we get very certain clarity from him about what is this all about. And we wanted Luke because Luke is kind of has a very uh, methodical, disciplined mind. He doesn't speak in abstraction. He doesn't talk in art forms. He talks about the facts. And there are times when you just need the facts. Everybody can have an abstraction about life, true or false, but sometimes you just need to know what is real, where do I stand, what is God doing? And the Gospel of Luke has been doing that for us. So we've been going through it, and we have really gotten into it. The last two weeks have been hardcore, and I just salute you for hanging on, because in Jesus' time, when he said some of those things, People left. People were done with them. When he turns around and he says, eat my body and drink my blood or you'll have nothing to do with me, he loses a big chunk of crowd. I mean, that's some hard talk. Remember, um, he says, unless you hate your mother or father or brother or sister or children, whatever, you can have nothing to do with me. And a lot of people are like, yeah, this is a little too radical. But Jesus wanted to provide everybody with clarity about where the relationship with him stands where we need to be with him. He wanted us to be clear. Everybody was getting food from the feeding of the 5,000. People were getting healed. You know, it was kind of like uh, tacos and, and salsa, and everybody was enjoying themselves, having a good time with Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, this is really cool and all, but we need to be clear about where this is going. It's coming to the point where you need to make a very clear decision about who I am. And so I understand, um, there, you know, there were a lot of, tread marks out in the parking lot because people couldn't get out of here fast enough because it's like, that's a high call to commitment, but Jesus made it. Well, today, we're going to kind of ride with the, with, the, uh, with the top down a little bit. We're going we're gonna to take a little shift on, on how we learn about certainty from God and some of the other things that are uh, certain about God. So as a pastor, uh, I make sure that I communicate in a way that is learnable. Um, I try not to be too much in your face about things. Um, I, 
Um, but I, I'm finding out that I can't always, I got to challenge you about stuff, but I can't always challenge you about stuff because none of us can handle that. You know, um, I can't always be philosophical. I love being philosophical. Uh, I would love to every day, every Sunday, to be philosophical and abstract in the way I communicate. Like, my wife has to put up with it. The other day we were riding around and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what the etymology of the term fall is. And she's like, what? Because we were looking at the leaves. I'm like, well, we call it fall. I said, we only call it fall because there's deciduous trees around. I'm like, well, they probably don't call it fall where there isn't trees that drop their leaves. What do they call it there? And then I thought, isn't that interesting? I have a cultural perspective to a season, and I call it based upon the activity of this biological system over here, and I call it the fall. But if I was to go down into Africa or other regions, they wouldn't call it a fall because they don't have deciduous trees in certain regions. And she's just looking at me like, can we just drive and look at the trees? <laughs> but so, you can't live like that. You can't live on philosophical introspection all the time. Also, as much as I would love to keep things historical and keep things scientific, you can't always communicate that way. Um, because sometimes your life doesn't, get, I don't need a, a scientific answer all the time. And then in addition to this, and I'm not whining about my job, I'm just telling you how difficult it is to pull it off every Sunday, is that I, I need to communicate all this truth in a manner and the truth that is uh, totally consistent with the nature and the character and the love of Jesus. So it's not enough just to have the truth I have to say the truth in the way that reflects the love behind the truth. And so um, for the last couple of weeks, Jesus has gotten kind of in our face a little bit. He's really challenged us. But we're about to see Jesus make a shift in the gospel of Luke on how he communicates. And this shift is not gonna be easy for me to communicate to you. Because I love facts. I love forces of nature. I love architecture, I love technology. And occasionally I love a, a good sports reference when communicating ideas. I love those illustrations, but the Gospel of Luke takes me someplace where I am, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm not real comfortable. Um, today Jesus is gonna to speak to us with absolute certainty, but he's gonna to talk to us about us. He's going to be very clear. We're gonna see that he's, Whenever, and I've said this before, whenever Jesus tells a story three times, it's emphatic, it's explicit. That means get this right. This is what you got to hold on to. There are some stories Jesus tells that I kind of scratch my head and I'm like, oh, that was interesting. And, and, and it's truth, but when he tells a story three times or and he repackages it, he's really trying to make sure that we're certain about something. So, um, he makes a shift from this, pick up your cross and follow me, to this way of talking about us with equal certainty, but I, I'm gonna be stretched on how I communicate this. So um, one illustration came to mind on how I should communicate it. And so I, I have to say as I begin this, forgive me fathers um, of my past because this is, this is um, so different um, because I'm having to use the movie The Notebook okay and 
this is really, I'm just like nervous about this. And I never thought a Nicholas Spark movie would make its way into one of my sermons. I'm not real close to pulling out Rudy right now. I mean, I'm real close. I'm getting real nervous with this. Not that I don't, I'm not a love story guy, but I tend to roll in the direction of Jane Austen type characters. Um, I'm not a real big Ryan Gosling fan. He, he, he just doesn't do it for me. But I started looking at this, this story, the, the notebook, um, and all joking aside, it has an incredibly powerful lesson to it that Jesus seems to actually do this. How many people here have seen the notebook? Here we see your hands. How many people have seen the, seen the notebook against their will? Okay, there we go. Yes, I, I, I'm right there with you. But you saw it anyway, because you did out of love. Well, if you've never seen this movie, um, the story is kind of read retrospectively by an elderly man, and, and he is Noah, who is reading a story to his wife, Allie, about their 50 years of marriage. She has developed dementia, and she's in kind of like a hospice care situation. And he's reading stories to her to kind of remind her of their life together. See, when she was diagnosed with dementia, she started a notebook. And in that notebook, she she wrote down all the memories that they had together because she knew that she was going to get to a place where she was not going to remember. I think it's so much so in the movie that he even no longer presents himself as Noah because that seems to cause her trauma. He presents himself as a guy named Duke. But so what he does, as the dementia is beginning to uh, affect her more and more and she's becoming overcome by the disease, he visits her daily and he opens up the notebook of all of her memories and he begins to read back the love story of their lives together. I mean, oh, oh no, don't do it, don't cry, don't cry, don't, I'm losing it, okay. That is absolutely an amazing concept. Um, At the end, she has one lucid moment when she remembers him as Noah, and then at the end of the story, they end up dying together holding hands. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, Take all the tacky aside, It's a beautiful idea, this idea of stories in case we forget. And so Jesus comes out of this moment of high challenge, kind of an A-type person response to the crowd, dropping the gauntlet, challenging people, and then chapter 15 of the Gospel of Luke becomes Jesus' notebook. And he begins to tell stories. And, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is just like this Nicholas Sparks thing. And you know why he's telling stories? Because in the middle of life, when it gets hard and difficult, when we don't live up to the challenge, no matter how good the challenge may be, we develop a sense of spiritual dementia. We forget. We get covered with shame, guilt, imperfection, inadequacy. And we begin to forget. 
We may begin to shift into some sort of legalistic concept, concept about, about Jesus. But I think we all, whether it's in trauma, it's, it's kind of like when you're, you hit your hand really hard with something and your hand goes numb. It's kind of a neurological dementia that sets in. It's like the, the, the feedback is so overwhelmed that it's hard to be specific about where does it hurt. And so Jesus is, has challenged these people and he knows how hard the challenge is and, and, and everybody's heard it. And then he's like, okay, now we need to stop and I need to remind you how much God loves you before we go any further. Because some of you have developed a spiritual dementia about God. We forget because we get overwhelmed. We, society or Christian society, I should say, I don't know, that's even a kind of a weird phrase, so I'm not even gonna use it then. It's kind of like, um, but in the middle of it, we're told, we're always being told what's the most important thing. This is the most important thing. That's what we need to fight this. We need to stand for this. We need to do that. And there are things to be stood for, things to fight against and all that. But in the middle of all that, especially like coming to an election period, because half of us are happy, you know, I mean, because it didn't work out full for anyone. So we're all kind of like had a, we just the last Tuesday just had a slap kind of like, well, what happened? Uh, I'm not really sure exactly what happened. And and so for me, God was like, listen, let's get back to the story, okay? It's not about politics. You think that's the story. Let, let's go back. It's like, well, where do I go back to? And Jesus like opens up his notebook and says, let's get back to what this story is all about. And, and I think we all need times when we need Jesus to do this for us. So today Jesus is going to read us some stories. I love it. This is this has all been put together by, by Luke in the gospel. Luke would not have stopped to add these stories from a sentimental standpoint. He's a physician. He's adding them because this is where Jesus said them. And I think we need to sometimes just kind of stop and let Jesus speak over us. What does God really think about us? Because that's something we need to have certainty about. Luke chapter 15, verse one. It stops, start, the first line from the notebook is this. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I love this. The first line out of the book is this. Jesus is safe for everybody. That, so wherever you are in life, whatever you've done, whatever you did yesterday, whatever you did on the way in, I mean, I argue with my wife today, okay? She told me navy blue and black don't go together. <laughs> okay? No, 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 no. Colors don't have to match. It's the full ensemble. <laughs> How did my argument go? Not very good, was it? Hey, I'm colorblind, and I was like, it's a new shirt, darn it, I'm gonna wear it regardless whether it matches or not. But you know, you might have had some conflict with God today, this morning, you may be in conflict with God right now. And 
I just want to let you know you're in a safe place today. Yeah, you may be the kind of person that's labeled the wrong person to be at church. Hey, I just want to let you know you're safe. If I'm here and he lets me be here, everybody is safe. Don't forget that part of the story, that people who, people who knew they were wrong were safe. This is not people who were oblivious to it. These people knew who they were. They know who they are in the story. See, the problem with the Pharisees, they were right in their observation. They were wrong in their solution. You know, they were right. This man eats with tax collectors and sinners. I was like, well, that's great. But isn't that amazing? Christianity is more than just observation. It's more than just observation. It's more than just, as King James used to say it, jot or tittle. It's more than just law and line. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's a beautiful story. See, they, they observed right, but they came to the wrong conclusion and implemented the wrong solution. Jesus didn't put distance between him and them. He lets the people who know they have done wrong the closest. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful story. He lets the people who know they have done wrong the closest. So I want you to know here that whatever it is that you're hiding, whatever it is that you don't want anybody to know about you, don't worry, you're safe. This is a safe place. Yeah, but you don't know what kind of relationship I'm involved in. You know what? We're in chapter 15. We're in the notebook right now. There'll be time to talk about behavior and life and, and all that other stuff, but there are some times when you just need to be, it's kind of like um, uh, uh, inertia, you know? It's like the object gets pushed, and then because of entropy and gravity and friction and all the other things, things begin to slow down and slow down. And it's like all of a sudden you need another push. And what is the push from heaven? It's grace. It's love. And, and today's one of those days like, hey, you know, just take the push. Take the love. Take the grace. So being a pastor at times can be hard. You want to communicate how much God loves you how much he loves people. Um, but then there's the right-wrong conversation. Um, they're not mutually exclusive. And a lot of Christians will always fight that. Well, you don't want to tell them you love them because then they'll say the way that they are. Because if they'll interpret that as an, you're affirming them. But, well, you know, and, and I'm telling you, it's really different. But heaven seems to speak this way. Seems to speak about this incredible love and then it also speaks, seems to speak about this, come follow me. It's no longer you who lives, but now Christ who will live within you. It's like he loves us as we are, but he doesn't affirm us as we are. It's a really, it's really, it's so minute and so there's a, a verse in the book of Ephesians that says, the spirit of God divides between bone and marrow between soul and spirit. And back at that time, we couldn't see the difference between the marrow and the bone because one's within the other. We couldn't find the perforated line between soul and spirit. You, there, we, we couldn't distinguish those things. And, and it seems that the love of God, it's like between behavior and affirmation and, 
and acceptance and love, it's just all there. It's all there. He, he calls us um, with this incredible love, and then he transforms us by this incredible love. So Jesus tells a couple stories about his love. And, about, and can I say this? Um, I have got to say that he tells a, a couple stories about the love of our Heavenly Father. Because I know some of you can't move into the Father realm. It's difficult. We've actually been barraged culturally about the concept of Father, but, but I want you to know that Jesus comes, said that he came, one of his main purposes of coming, so that you may know the Father. I grew up loving Jesus, but I hated God the Father. Why? Because I grew up loving my mother and hating my father, because my father, for a time, was abusive before he, he uh, encountered Christ. And so when I discovered that Jesus came that I may know the Father, that was like, well, no, no, Jesus, you love me. The Father wants to send me to hell. You came down here as a volunteer to take the bullet for me. But really, the Father is angry at me, and you are here to quench the anger of this angry God. Nothing could be further from the truth. So Jesus tells some stories. Here's the first one. And I'm not going to exegete this. I want to let you know that I could break every one of these stories down, and there are mints and jewels in every one of these things. But I'm not supposed to do that today. I'm supposed to just read the stories. That's really hard for me. Um, so Jesus tells them a parable saying this. So he's telling you this parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he is founded, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, I, that's an incredible love. I mean, what would, what would I have probably have done? Oh, no, I'll tell you what I would have done. I, I'm not a big dog guy. I have a dog. I love my dog. I don't love your dog. I don't love all dogs. I love my dog. I'm making it clear, okay? I'm not a dog person. So sometimes my dog will do something that's wrong. Um, and I'll be like, you know, Pepper, get over here. And you'll, th 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 my neighbors think I'm I've lost my mind. You know, I'll be like, are you crazy? What are you doing? Get over here. And then Pepper will kind of come over, you know, with a rabbit in her mouth or something like that. And, and she'll like come up and I'm like, you get in that house. And then she'll get in the house and she'll be like, uh, like kind of all sad and sullen. And I'll be like, and then she'll want to come over next to me. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to have some time to think what you've done, young lady, you know. How much time do you think God does that to us? 
Can you imagine all of a sudden my dog's out there and I'm like, she's doing something wrong and I go out there and I put her on my shoulders or I carry her. It's like, you were into, you were in some bad stuff, girl, you know? And can you just imagine he just would carry her, bring her into the house. It's like, go get yourself some food and come on over. Let's, let's, I don't know, watch a movie together or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I know some of you are like, that is so absurd. Is it? Is that not the story that Jesus just told us about the, the sheep? You know, this one, one sheep that has gone astray? We just don't get it because we're not culturally connected with, with that kind of illustration. But it's like God goes after us. He loves us so much. And then the joy of recovery is amazing. See, this whole mission is being communicated to us about Jesus, to seek and to save that which is lost. That's like he really wants us. He really wants you. And I know, how much do you got to get right before he wants you? Nothing. You don't have to get anything right before he wants you. Now, will he begin to work on our lives after he's got us? Absolutely. But it will only be for our benefit and for his glory. But it's just amazing that, that the God of heaven would come down and then go after the lost sheep. It's great to know that we are loved when we are in pasture and astray. And I think for you here today, if you've been walking with God for a while, you need to really let that drop into you because we're not... This is, we think that either Christians aren't supposed to sin. I mean, they're not recommended to. It's not like in the top things to accomplish in your day. But we think that, and I love what John says, if we say we have no sin, we're liars. And the truth of God is not in us. But then he reminds people and he says, but he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. And some of us are like, I can't be that good. I, I'm supposed to feel bad for a while. I'm supposed to be put in a corner over here for a while. I'm supposed to not come out until I feel bad about what I did wrong. It's kind of like I, my relationship with the Heavenly Father is broken. And it's like, no, he comes after us whether we're in the pasture or whether we're astray. He's not saying anything bad about the 99. The 99 are having a good day. Have you ever had one of those good days? It all went right. You coordinated your outfit. Your, your, your relationship with your wife is perfect. Everything's going fine. But most of us, those are rare days. And we think when we make our mistake, we have gone astray, but we have not lost our shepherd. And our shepherd will come after us in whatever condition we're in. And so this whole idea that it's great to know that we are loved when we are in pasture and we are astray is so very important. Okay, um, this is such a great story that Matthew heard it, and he wrote his own gospel. Uh, but it's interesting, Matthew takes this story, but he leaves the sheep out. What I love about Matthew's account of this story is that he takes the sheep story out and he puts himself in as the sheep. Listen, listen to it. it He's recounting this, this moment, and he actually t- 
takes the sheep part out and puts himself in. Now, Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. So this is a rotten guy, bad guy, sinner, uh, you know, he's labeled the worst from a standpoint of being a Jew at this time. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table of the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus. And the Pharisees saw this and said, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? The exact same story. But what's not in the story is the sheep. What is in the story is Matthew. He pops out the sheep story and he slides his story in there. So let me ask you this. Have you found yourself in Jesus' story yet? Have you, have you slid you in there? Have you allowed yourself to be the sheep, the recovered, the lost, the stray that is loved and cherished by, by God? See, what a perfect example of finding yourself in the grace story of Jesus. And that's what Jesus wants to do here today. Jesus doesn't want to be super smart today. He doesn't want me to be very, very technical today. He doesn't want me to be very scholarly or historical today. And those are all things I, I'm not sure I achieve anyway. But he does want you to find yourself in this story because some of you don't know you're in this story. Yeah, but I got all this about me. Let's, let's find you in the story first before we worry about behavioral modification. Let's find you in the story first because I don't care what you modify about you. If you don't get this story of how much you are loved right, then you're living a different story. He loves you. He is coming after you. Astray or in pasture, he is our shepherd and he loves us. So he goes and he tells another story out of his notebook. Just like Noah's reading to Allie, he flips the page over and tells another story because remember, he's gonna tell three stories because that's emphatic. He says, or what woman, if she had 10 coins, silver coins, and loses one, does not, find, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she is founded, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, Jesus says, that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Doesn't mean the other coins don't have value because he found this one. But he was, it's like, this is what God's doing. This is what God's doing today. It's not just what Jesus is doing in the story, but it's what's happening right here at 1941 Bees Ferry Road in Charleston on um, the 13th of November at 10.04, Jesus is sweeping the room. And it doesn't matter if you're astray or lost, confused. He just wants you to know that in the midst of your dementia, in the midst of your spiritual forgetfulness, in the middle of you turning it into something weird, calling it by the wrong name, all the symptoms that come with dementia, that God is saying, I love you. 
And nothing rejoices my heart more than to bring you back close to myself, if you'll let me. So he tells another story. And this one is particularly about our Heavenly Father's thoughts about you. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, forgive me. Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. If you've been to church, you're beginning to recognize what the story is. I've said this before, and I will say it every time I read this story. This is the story of the, and you might say, as your Bible says, the prodigal son. That little note in your Bible was added. It is not in the original text. This is not the story of the prodigal son. This is the story of a father. Humans tend to label stories based upon failures. Jesus didn't, wasn't telling the story about, hey, let me tell you about a kid who really screwed up bad, you know? He starts the story out, a man had two sons. The story is about the man, not the behavior of the sons. What's being illuminated here, in, which is concurrent with or, or contiguous with the other stories, is this is about the love of God towards us. So people get caught up in the sun, but don't miss it. It's a story of a father. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided the wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to, to a distant country. I've been, I've been there. I've been on a few distant journeys from God as a Christian. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that land and he began to be impoverished. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the, the pigs were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, and that's kind of like what God wants to do for us today. It's kind of like, hey, remember what this is about. Hey, you need to remember, this is the story. This is the story. He came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? Now, I love this part. I don't want to deviate too far. I love this part. He said, I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. That's religion talking. That's the script that we think we have to say to God in order to get God. Is repentance part of it? Absolutely. We learned about that. It's kind of an awareness of who you are, where you are, and then now turning towards God, making that journey towards God. But see, this young man was going to be satisfied being a hired man, a man who would be subject to just do what he's told, 
I'm just, you know, as long as I do the sacraments, as long as I pray the prayers, as long as I read the book, and as long as I keep my act together, I'm in. And so he's kind of rehearsed this line that he's going to say to his heavenly father. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So it doesn't matter where you are right now. It doesn't matter how far off you are. It's like, yeah, but you don't know what I'm into. That's okay. I'm serious. I don't care how far off you are. I don't think I'm any closer with my behavior than you may be with your behavior. It's all fallen short of the glory of God. So the distance doesn't matter. But while he was still afar off, I'm sorry, this is just a beautiful story. His father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced and kissed him. I can't tell you how many barriers in my psyche that crosses over. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine a, my father running towards me. I mean, that's one, one like, mind-blown, like, I, I have a hard time visioning that. My father, lo- with a, a face of compassion. And then, then that he would um, run to me, embrace me, no conversation yet, and then start kissing me. I don't know. I, that's, that's just, it goes through so many layers of my psyche, my self-perception, my perception of God. And, and that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to, all this religion stuff, all this failure stuff, all this shame stuff, all this guilt stuff, he's like, we need to bust through this. We need to get here. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. The rehearsed religious response, the works-based, I gotta pay for what I did wrong response. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father doesn't even engage the conversation. Well, son, you're right. Well, I'm glad you learned your lesson. The father doesn't even listen to that mumbo jumbo. It says, but the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe, the best, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. But wait a minute, Dad, I got to explain to you what I did wrong. It's like, but wait a minute, I need to go shower first because I smell like pig. Don't put that beautiful garment on. Stop it. Let me love you. But Father, you don't know. I, I know. But that's, that's not important right now. What's important you just let me celebrate you. You let me love you. And I think we need that today. I think we need to just be reminded because I don't know about you, but I'm having an, an incredibly human experience in my 63 years of life. And that's not a compliment. I'm 
I'm human every day. Viscerally, toxically, human every day. And to know that no matter how far away I've strayed, that the Father runs to me, embraces me, kisses me, and he breaks through all the barriers into my life. There are a thousand points that I could, I could expound on this, and I wish I had time to go over them, but today I am not supposed to get technical. God wants you to have, in this, in this moment, this movie, there's this point where an alley in all of her dementia all of a sudden breaks out of it. For like a moment, she breaks out and she recognizes Noah, her husband of 50 years. And um, see, God wants you to have one lucid moment about him today. Just one, he doesn't want, he does, he's not caring today about your theology. He's not asking you to explain anything about you. He knows it already. He just wants you to have one moment about how much you are incredibly loved and that the grace of God has been chasing you. And he loves you so much. The notebook isn't a corny love story. I know I joked about it being corny, but um, if that story is corny, then this story is corny. God is here today, and he's here to tell you once again that he loves you right where you are. And maybe you have gotten his name wrong, Maybe you have forgotten who he is. But you know what? He's going to read the story to you anyway. That is so amazing. Because I'm a man of exactness, it's sometimes nice to have somebody put their around and say, son, just, just relax. Just let me love you. I've ridden too many trails on my mountain bike and never seen the trees because I was concerned about the performance of the ride. I was focused on the bike. I was focused on my muscles. I was focused on my time. And I passed lakes and streams and animals and leaves that fall. I missed it. And there are things that we need to be busy about. And there are things that God's gonna work on in our lives. But we occasionally need to stop and let him read the story to us to remind us of his love. Isaiah 54, 10. This is God. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God is faithful to forgive, to restore, to love, and to renew. 
So you're in a place today where your heart maybe needs some affirmation from God because your journey took you afar. You left the pasture and you went astray, just like all of us. I love what David prayed to God when he was caught in the middle of his rut, his compromise, his murder, his adultery. I mean, he did all of it. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out all my transgressions. Nothing there about make me a slave, make me a hireling, treat me like an employee. He was so confident, God just blotted it all out. I'm back. So today, Let's not get any more technical than that. But as you come to receive the bread and the cup, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Let God love you. Let Him love you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace and your love and your mercy. And I know for some of us, we have made this Jesus story so technical. And it has some technical aspects. God, we've made it about performance. We've made it about, we've made it about other things than Jesus and about our Heavenly Father. Help us remember that your plan was to seek and to save the lost. In another place, you stated that mission this way. I go to the Father so that I may come with the Father and we come and make our abode, our home, with you in this life. You bring home to us. Home has run to our doorstep. And you stand there at the door and you knock. Today, we receive your love as tax collectors, sinners, or however we may be delineated today in our own minds, we come and sit at your table. We find safety and we find grace. Let me encourage you today to have a lucid moment when you take that bread and that cup and remember, remember,